Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. March is here. That means in Canada, we are getting closer and closer to spring meaning I'm getting closer to go cycling and hiking again. Two of my favorite pastimes or hobby, if you want to call that. Last week, I sent my bike to the bike shop. Cost me an arm and a leg, but it is what it is. It's part of the game. Um, It's a very expensive hobby, but it's worth it. I do love it. I had to fix it because... Last year, I fell off my bike. I had an accident. I hit my, I lost balance and I just fell and hit my head. I was okay. I still finished the ride. I think it was 50 kilometers. Uh, But yeah, I'm glad I'm okay and I'm safe and I cannot wait to get on the bike again. I got a big plan with my friend. We're planning to do a big ride, hopefully about 300 kilometers. Anyways, thank you for being here. I appreciate that you're here. I'd also appreciate if you could join the Immigrant Nation by subscribing to the podcast on wherever podcasting platform you are listening to, even on YouTube. And if you want more An Immigrant's Life content, you can check our social media accounts. Our handle is at An Immigrant's Life. And if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts that I've mentioned just now, or you can email us too at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. House cleaning is done. Now, let's talk about the episode. This week's guest lived through World War II, extreme poverty and prejudice in his adopted homeland. But that didn't stop him from succeeding and becoming a vascular surgeon. I really, really enjoyed talking to him regarding about his life and his experiences about being a surgeon. And I'm sure you will enjoy listening to his stories as well. So let's not waste more time. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a retired vascular surgeon third author. He'll fix you right up with his surgical hands and then heal your soul with his life lessons. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Salvatore Forcina. Hi. How you doing, doctor? Doing very well. Grazie. Thank you. Grazie for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. How would you like me to call you, Dr. Salvatore, Dr. Forcina? Whatever you please. Whatever you want, whatever it make you comfortable. Oh, I don't know. I'll you just can call, call me even Sal if you Sal? want. Sal? <laughs> All right, I'll call you Sal. All right? Yes, yes. My grandma would kill me for calling you Sal. I should call you Dr. Sal or Mr. Sal, but well, yeah. you said yes. It's okay. Before we get into things, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Well, I wrote a book called The American Doctor. This is uh, going to come out uh, March 14, 
and it's published by Histria Books. And this is a very, um, it's a sentimental thing because uh, our life is like a seed that depends where this seed lands. There is a potential to grow. There's a potential for the wind to blow into the desert and something can happen or nothing can happen at all. Hmm. I love it. It's like in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> the parable of the seeds. Yes. Beautiful. Listen, I'm excited for your book. I'm sure it was a lot of work. But before we start talking about the book, let's talk about you a little bit. Yes. You were born in Italy during World War One. No, when World I... War Two. World War Two. Okay, World War Two. World II. War Two. Okay. And it's a, it's a location is a, in between Rome and Naples. Mm. It's a Roman province called Lazio, and the town is Scauri. Mm. Scauri is a, a town less than 10,000 people. It's a summer resort, has a beautiful beaches. It's very historical. Mm -hmm. The Appian Way go through my town. The famous Appian Way built 312 before Christ. Wow. So there is a lot of history there. That's crazy. And I like history. Yeah. What do you like about history? Well, you know what happened? I like more the past than the present because the past thing happened and because of the right or bad decision made in the past you can learn hmm. for the future you know you don't know where you stand <laughs> but if you learn from the past you can prepare for the future that's right that's right that's correct so i know you moved to argentina how old yes. were you before you moved to Argentina? I was eight years old hmm. when we went to Argentina. And I spent 20 years in Argentina. I studied in Argentina. Mm. Do you remember living in Italy? Not too much because I was very young. Mm. Okay. But the, what I made a comment in the book is because my father used to tell me things. Mm. And you know, the past is like a written stone. And as the one get older, they forget the the thing recently happened, <laughs> but you remember the past because the past is written in stones, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, why did your parents decide to move to Argentina? Why Argentina? Okay. So what happened was my father was a worker and he worked in the ceramic in a, a factory hmm. that make brick, uh, tiles. This was before, uh, uh, in 1947, the factory decided to build another factory in Argentina. Hmm. And at that time, like I was saying before, in the area that we we were close to Monte Cassino. Monte Cassino is an abbey building 500, more or less. Uh, and uh, 
that area, the German controlled that area, and the, the front got stuck there for seven months, eight months, I don't remember, and there was a lot of destruction, a lot of misery. They plant, the German plant a lot of mines. People, many people lost, died, lost limbs, you know, the atrocity of the war. Hmm. And so what happened that the people were desperate. They were, there was nothing. And so the opportunity came that for my father to go to Argentina with another 60 people, all uh, bricklayer, um, the carpenter, you know, you know, hmm. and they have the trip pay and they will, they could stay there for two years. If after two years they didn't want to stay, they were repatriated. And, uh, and so my father went first in 47, eventually me, my mother, and my brother. In 48, I was eight years old, we went to Argentina. Mm. Did you take the boat? Yes, I was a, <laughs> was a boat. Very, my mother was sick all the time. Oh. And we kids we were running around. It's not a boat you had today with a stabilizer or whatever. That was that was a, I was, was bigger than Columbus Carabelas. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was a, it was an experience. Was How an long ex was the trip? I would say maybe just under 18 days, 21 days, something. I don't remember exactly. Oh, but my was, God, yeah, that's a yeah. long time. And you know, the amazing thing I remember, I recall that the, when we were crossing the Atlantic, sometimes there were storms, tremendous storm, and all the dishes on the table, everything ended up on the floor. The only people that were around we were the kids because <laughs> everybody else was sick. And, I was, you know, at that time you had the anti- uh, vertigo or for vomiting or whatever you had today, you know. Yeah. So, uh, what experience! <laughs> so you arrived in Argentina. Of course, Dad was there. I'm assuming he had this house or at least a place to stay no, at. No, we rent. We rent hmm. a house. I describe in the book. We rent a house from the old Italian family, family, and it was. A little bit in the outskirts of the city. The city was Azul. It's a town right now, 50, 60,000 people, something like that. Now, at that time, it was much smaller. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the gentleman, he had a carriage and he used to make a living going to the uh, railroad station, wait for the people, and take them to whatever, to make a at that time, there were not too many taxes. Mm. Yeah, and so so we went there, and uh, of course, my father had been in the war, lost his brother, lost a uh, brother-in-law. Uh, my grandfather, we don't know, disappeared because the German took him to work in the factory in Germany. Whatever we did, we did. It was it was a tragedy mm. yeah that's crazy my my grandma rest her soul she used to tell me about the uh, world war ii in the philippines yeah yeah 
And it was the Japanese that took over the Philippines. And she was a young girl and she had to run to the mountains and yeah, hide there for That's what happened to us. Hmm. This is what happened. My parents, they, they had the dividing line between the Allies from the south. There was a river called Garigliano. And the north were the German. And so the German, as the Allied troop came, they, you had to move. People, it was a tremendous misery, went to the mountain. Went to the mountain in the winter, no, with the snow. Hmm. And I have the chapter there that they, uh, they were having fire all the time, constantly fire because they, 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 they had a hut. Mm. And then, and what happened, the, the, the tragedy was that they, they end up with the uh, ticks. Mm. And they, they were not the, the tea, there was the, you know. And, and so uh, the answer to that was they destroyed, they burned the place, mm. and they built another one. And the women, those people used to carry for underclothes, the, the underclothes made of wool, mm. thick wool. And so what happened is that then, and of course the shower, there was no water, <laughs> they, they get the, they get a big car drone and they put the uh, 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 snow and the women make a fire and then with a stick, they boil and burn, boil the, the, those clothes and eventually uh, make a fire inside and they, to, in the winter time, to dry that, uh, I don't crazy. understand how they, how they, but you know, the instinct of survival. Mm. The instinct of survival that make you do anything. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I agree with that. Like humans are so um, resilient. For, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, if you sit there, and uh, the the tragedy, my father used to tell me. See, my father was a worker. They were working, so they were used to the hand work. Mm. But the people that they were a teacher, they have a maid, they, they would have servant all the time, mm. a daughter or whatever, okay? Those are the people that suffer the most mm. because, because at that time there was no money, the money was worth nothing, mm. and there was food, so they, no, there was no food, so you had to go from one place to another and going, most of the women, they were in Indian file, go down the mountain and to another place to exchange a few things or whatever. Mm. And I remember my father already, uh, he had been in the Italian Marine, but the Italy had capitulated. Mm. Now the German, they were looking for all the Italian soldiers because they need, they make them work. They mm -hmm. had to carry stuff, dig the trenches, go to uh, taken to Germany as a prisoner to work. Uh, so what happened? My father was uh, this guy as a woman. In between, <laughs> yes, in between the in between the the women. And so one day they were they were going to down the valley. They found. They, 
they didn't have anything. They found a German soldier dead. Mm. So they took their boots and they took to the jacket. And they were going and they were going down there. So eventually the uh, British plane saw that they did and they start to bombard the day. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. God. So my father grabbed my mother <clears throat> and they went into a ditch, but it, some people got killed. Mm. So, it's, you know, it's a... War is no bueno. Yeah. Yeah. When you were living in Argentina, was yes. there prejudice towards Italians from the Argentinians? Yes. Yes. I still remember. They left a mark. They used to, I remember, first of all, those Italians in general, they were ambitious. Hmm. The, what they couldn't accomplish in Italy, they tried to accomplish in Argentina. Hmm. And uh, the, in general, the Argentinian people are good people. But the average person at that time, those people, they were very complacent. They have, uh, for generations, some of them, they have a... Uh, the typical Spanish house, there was one or two, two room. And they, I remember they, to me, the thing that bothered me was they, they used to call us gringo. <laughs> but the gringo was a very despective, very putting down thing. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then as a child, I saw that, or I read that you were sent away to live with the priests. Well, what happened was he, the family was very poor. So they went to, my mother and my father went to school, one or two grades, that's it. Hmm. And so my father had the desire all the time to learn. So what happened was that the, those missionaries came to a church, not too far away where my parents used to live. And, then, and they show us, they show me, the picture that they have a horse, they have a, they were playing soccer, and they were uh, and they, all the good, good thing that the the kids do. But they show me that the 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 church, the, the masses, and you had to study. <laughs> and so to so I said to my father, I said I would like to go there or whatever. Okay, and so and my father, you know, arranged whatever. I was eleven years old. Mm. The separation from my parents was very difficult. Oh my God! For my mother, yeah, eleven years old. Yeah. So you live with the priest for how for long? Seven years. Oh. Seven. Do seven you ever years. come home though? Uh, once a year in December, because December is a uh, summer there. Okay. So you finish the school in December before Christmas, and you go for one month to see my parents. All right. So they feed you. They they educate you, but yeah. what do you pay them back? Well, my, fa my father makes a small donation. This will mostly to get you to become a priest. Mm. Did they beat you up? Well, yeah. <laughs> they beat you. Well, when you didn't want to, you didn't understand or study, whatever, okay? Some of them, they, they got you for a year and pulling we were kids, we were uh, and uh, slapping, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> oh looking God. back, yeah, looking back, yeah. How yeah. did that affect you? 
Well, at that time, you know, I, I, it was like something normal because you see what happened even with my father. When I didn't know anything, he used to, I, I, there was not the time that you reason with a person. <laughs> at that time, you just had to do it. You do this, that's it. That's the way it's going to be. <laughs> yep, that's the way it was. I want to ask you one thing. It's a bit controversial, but I hear some Italians love Mussolini. Yes, well, some of them, some of them. I'm going to tell you a story. Mm. What happened was that Mussolini came to power and he was a dictator. And so the kids from very early age, they had to parade. They had the black shirts. Mm. And they, so you are a member of the fascist party. Mm. Now, my parents were poor. And so the committee established you had to have fascist uniform. So my father went to the committee there and spoke to the people and said, listen, uh, I can afford to have two uniforms. I will buy one and the other one, the party give me the, the uniform. And they told him, no, whatever, they have an argument. So my father knew that somebody that was in the party connected, he had free uniform. So he was not wise enough. He opened <laughs> his mouth and he said, well, how come he had it and I cannot get to mine? So <laughs> the, my father used to tell me very seriously, this guy, he grabbed him by the neck and by the pants in the back of the pants and he throw him in the street in front of everybody. Oh, man. Talking about humiliation. Well, time passed. The war was over. And there was a retaliation. Hmm. The people that were on the other side were retaliated against the, those people that abused the power. Hmm. So what happened, the, the mother of this fellow, the mother came and kneel in front of my grandmother asking for forgiveness because you see what happened if you have reported him my father will report him it would have been a repercussion mm -hmm. so what happened did your grandmother or your dad reported the guy no 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 they didn't do that because they were simple people human beings they they went through so much tragedy Mm -hmm. There was so much misery. What is the point of re retaliation or whatever? You know, I... A hundred percent, I agree. Yeah. And beside that, you know, the Catholic, they had the, in the simple way, they had the Catholic, you had to forgive, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in their own way. You know, the people, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's the story. Mm-hmm. So after you finish at the school at the priest, what after did you seven do? Year. After, so seven after seven years, what yeah. did you do? Yeah, let me tell you this something. That, that, uh, so what happened was that the, the first year, I was, not, I was not doing very well with it, my studies. My mark were very low. <laughs> but the, the uh, jovenado, this place, so they have an orchestra. 
And uh, so now you can apply to play an instrument, but the, the chief had to permit you. Mm. So I was rejected. <laughs> and uh, so imagine I was, what, 12 years old, 13 years old. Whatever. That hurt me like hell. <laughs> 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 and so what happened was that the, the following year, I studied and they admit me to play violin. Oh, nice. And I, I love it. I mm. love it. I love it. So yeah. my initial question was like, after that learning music, did you go to college? Well, what happened was I remember one day after I finished that, I liked music very much. I have a conversation with my father. Mm. I said, Dad, I would like to, to go to the conservatory and uh, study music. Mm. So my father was a practical man. He said, well, it's nice, but how are you going to survive? In order to be a concertist, you have to be number one. And how many number one you have in the world? So Only you have one. to think of, yeah. <laughs> so, so he said, you know, you, you should, whatever you want to do, we help you with the best we can. Mm. And so that's why my friends, they were going to go to the university to study medicine. Mm -hmm. And then I joined them. But really, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what was medicine or anything. I would just say, I was a typical person. It's like a small boat in the middle of the ocean mm. at the mercy of the wind. Mm. Going any direction, you don't know. You see the horizon, 360 degrees, but you don't see You're clueless. the land, <laughs> the earth. <laughs> but you did well. You graduated. Yes. I, I eventually uh, I graduated, and it was very difficult. It was very difficult because... Um, I I studied without books. My parents couldn't afford books. How did so you study what, then? So what happened was, first of all, I used to go to the library and get the book for three or four days. And those books, they were like a papyrus. Some of them stained. Some mm -hmm. of them without the pages torn, whatever. But what I took advantage was in the in La Plata, the University of La Plata, where I, I used to was the university, hmm. we rent a house and we were maybe 10, 10 students and hmm. there were different rooms and we had uh, two students per room. Two students. And so what happened was that the most of the people they were well off. I was the son of the immigrant. Hmm. And so what happened was that they, they used to leave Friday afternoon. They had a good time, whatever, okay? And they came back Monday early in the morning, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So during that weekend, I had the room for myself and I had the books. Mm. Making, taking notes and this and that. And I, I did very well because I studied very hard. Mm -hmm. And then... You graduated medicine, you went home to Italy, you were going to plan to practice. Well, what happened was, so in Argentina, I saw there was no future for me. Even Why? Well, because you know what happened, you had to specialize, and to mm. get the specialty, 
was very difficult. Uh, you had to have connection and stuff. So I decided to go to Italy and uh, specialize in Italy. But before doing that, the, I graduated in December. And December is the summer in Argentina. Italy was winter. Hmm. So now the classes, the, I arrived to Italy in March 1st. I went to the University of Naples to take the exam. They say, no, you can have to wait until September. Mm. September because of the new year was starting, whatever. Mm. A, school, a, school, a scholar year. Mm. Uh, so, but meantime, I was in, a, like I mentioned before, scouting has a beautiful bridge. And uh, a, a lot of people come. And uh, there was one fellow, knew my family, and we started to talk. Mm. And he said, he convinced, convinced me to come to United States because he saw there was a future here. So I have my cousin here, my uncle here in Connecticut and New York. I, I wrote to them and they welcomed me here. I came here and um, I didn't speak English. <laughs> I was going to ask. I didn't speak English and I had to go to New York. I had to borrow money mm -hmm. for them to go to New York University for I don't know how many months to learn. Now, and I start to prepare for the exam. The exam, because my diploma was not recognized here. Mm -hmm. I had to take exam called ECFMG for a foreign graduate. Mm -hmm. When you pass that exam, that allow you to apply to a hospital, a program for a residence, mm. for training. And I want to do uh, become a surgeon. So that took five years. Mm. Why do you want to be a surgeon? Well, uh, I don't know. I just like it. It's something that <laughs> is, like, like, a, like a, a getting something out of the hat. I mean, challenging. I guess it was challenging, whatever. I, yeah. There are other challenging things. I surgeon. know, but I don't know. Don't ask me why, because... <laughs> but anyhow, so I, so I, I apply and, and uh, I got the fire training, working wow. every other day. Mm. We were, you know, you were working, uh, and this one I, I did my training. Uh, we used to do open heart, and uh, and so yeah, open heart, and, uh, and so what happened is that's why you had the vascular, the trauma. Mm. When we were in call, I in, in my first year internship was in Misericordia, in the Bronx, and. Uh, uh, for them, hospital, for the hospital. And when you were in call, you were up all night, gunshot wound, stab wound. Uh, was it? But you know what happened? And eventually, after one year, I went to Cooper and Candon, also another battlefield. Mm. Uh, but there, there were a lot of gunshot wounds, stab wound, whatever, uh, a lot of... So, but the exposure was great, unfortunately for the people, but exposure was great because mm. you got a lot of exposure, a lot of training, and um, become a good surgeon. Mm. Were you married then? No, I was not married. I married my, when I was a chief of surgeon in last year. 
because uh, the way that I met my wife, there was a passion that have very has a surgery and has a complication, mm-hmm. and he couldn't eat. Had tubes all over, and they had to give intravenous, and they called the IV team. They couldn't start the vein, find mm. the vein. They call other resident inter they could. So eventually they called me. So and I remember well that day. I went to see what would be eventually my future father-in-law. So I the name was Petrillo, Clement Petrillo. Mm. He was the dean of the uh, Philadelphia. Academy of Performing Arts. No way. So what happened was that the, I go there and I remember vividly that picture. He was sitting in a chair close to the bed with a gown. He, big eye, pale, and, uh, and the arm all swollen, black and blue. Hmm. So I walk in, I say, Mr. Petrillo. How are you? I'll introduce myself. And I right away, I knew he spoke Italian, so we start to speak Italian. Hmm. So now he started, we were talking and uh, explaining who I was. And, uh, so eventually, after a while, he was very relaxed. He was uh, 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 smiling a little bit. And he said, okay, Dad, are you going to start the IV now? You know? There is an opera called La Forza del Destino, <laughs> the destiny, no? So what happened was, it's not because I was uh, so good and this, uh, because destiny or luck or whatever, I have started an IV and he have, didn't even realize that. Mm. So from that day on, you know, after God, I was second in command. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, so what happened was that eventually, after some time, he got better, he went home, and one day, he called me. Uh, so he said, Dad, did you mind to go with my daughter to this concert, represent us, because I don't feel up to, to go of course, for me, it was hitting the lottery. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I remember Roberta, my future wife, hmm. and we went to this concert. I was unbelievable, the luxury, the thing. You were like in a palace, Versailles, like a palace. <laughs> and so I was exposure. And so eventually from there, and that's it. That's it. After a while, you married her? Yes. Mm. My last year, when I was a chief I married her. And we mm. married at the base. Okay, okay. Have you ever dealt with a patient who refused a vital procedure on the grounds of religious beliefs? Yes. I have a, I have a patient. I remember a Jehovah Witness. Mm. And this patient was pregnant. I have seen this lady uh, a few months before, maybe one or two months before, because she had, she has stolen the gallbladder. And so now 
with the pregnancy, you try to, the anesthesia, you try to avoid surgery, if postpone as much as possible until the baby is delivered, and eventually you can do elective surgery. Mm. So anyhow, we give antibiotic, we treated her, and she did well, and eventually gradually she felt better, and she went home. Now she was uh, one or two months more advanced in pregnancy, came back to emergency room. She had to be admitted. We treat again, and she didn't need it for a few days. We give intravenous fluid. The, um, we start to feed her, and she start to vomit again, start oh. to spike fever. And so I said, listen, I mean, explain everything, the risk. And, and, uh, and so she accepted to have the surgery, hmm. but she told me, doctor, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. No matter what, you're not going to give me transfusion. And I was a little bit naive at that time. I, you know, I just finished uh, training, a little khaki maybe, whatever, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so what happened was she said, Doctor, I really mean it because I have a friend of mine that gave her blood and she sued the doctor, whatever, you know. Ooh. Yeah, what? So now I said, now you have two people here. So I decided, we agree, I decided to do the surgery. Now, when in order to do the surgery, you need another doctor to assist you. Hmm. And you need anesthesiologist. When they find out that she was Jehovah's Witness and she presented the same situation, they jump on me. <laughs> Because they say, are you, you know, they, they told me everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know You're what crazy. I mean? <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, to make a long story short, uh, I, I, we did the surgery. She did very well. Mm. Uh, because we did laparoscopic in a small hole. Mm. How do you stay focused during a surgery? Well, it, it, as a matter of fact, eventually became routine. Mm. I hope you don't mind me asking, but... Have you ever lost a patient on the operating table? Yes, yes. And how did you deal with that? Well, I lost a patient. One, one time, the patient threw a pulmonary embolism. They had clots in the leg hmm. that we were nowhere. And I was doing some surgery, gallbladder or whatever, okay? And suddenly, the anesthesiologist couldn't control and they had the eventual patient died mm. and had the um, uh, autopsy showed the pulmonary, massive pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. Another time, another rupture aneurysm with a, with, a, uh, with a thoracic surgeon, he saw the patient in the emergency room. He had to clamp open the chest, Woo. clamp the aorta and the chest, Bro. and rush to the OR. So the chance for the, you know, 5%. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't make it either. So, you know. Wow. So now, also, it's not the patient that you lose in the OR. Because in the OR, you know, most elective cases or whatever. is the patient that you open up to a surgery and you find that has a cancer. Oh. With metastasis 
spread all over, and you know... It's over. It's over, and that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy that really, really... Are you the one that goes to the family and say, hey, by yes, the way... I did, I did. How I did. do you uh, do that? How can you go well, someone... Well, it's a... You see what happened? I learned, I learned, first of all, I got very bored. Mm. I, I suffered with the family. I suffered with that. And uh, what happened is that the, I don't like, I didn't like with that. But the other ones will give also, don't give a false hope. Mm. When I tell the patient, I say, uh, while we're doing surgery, because when you do a surgery, you explore, you touch everything. That's oh, your opportunity. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes you can have a, end up we have a cancer in the head of the pancreas or whatever, bad tumor again, or whatever. Hmm. And so, and, and sometimes you have a, a, a so you, you find another tumor and, uh, and you go to the family and say, listen, uh, we found this. We're going to call the oncologist. Uh, you're going to discuss maybe you know, uh, chemotherapy or radiation or whatever. And we had to hope for the best. And, you know, you have to have faith. And uh, every day something new is being discovered. Hmm. You know, and you try the best, the best. And you have the best. I many times mm. hold the hand a hug because it it happened to this patient, it can happen to me. Yeah. It happened to the members of my happen to my father in law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, when you had a bad day, like you know, a patient passed away or you know. Yes. When you get home, I'm sure it still affects you. How do you oh, oh, yeah. for, how do you forget about it? How do you compartmentalize well, the idea? It, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy. For instance, when I lost that patient with pulmonary embolism, I was not aware she had a clot in the legs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it can't happen. What do you uh, do, though, like mentally? Do you listen to music? Do you, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I used to talk to my wife. Mm. Talk to my wife uh, and, and try, try, try to... Maybe that night you're not going to sleep. I'm very difficult for sleep anyhow. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you're going to be tossing around. And, uh, yeah, human being. You have mm. feeling like it, at least me. But when I used to do this surgery, uh, laparoscopic surgery, you know, uh, I used to, before the patient went home that day, I used to go to see the patient. Mm. And I give it the instruction. At night, after dinner at home, before I went to bed, I called the family again wow. to find out how how I was doing, the patient was doing whatever. And early in the morning, before I went to the penalty room, I called again the patient to find how I was doing. That was for me, put my so a piece mm-hmm. because first of all was good for the family show that I care mm-hmm. second I save a lot of call because sometimes they misunderstand what to do mm-hmm. you know and then 
and, and so this way they don't have to call the office. The office has to leave a message. I cannot, uh, if I do a major surgery, I cannot call the family right away. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if it's an emergency or not, you know. Yeah. They cre- create a lot of anxiety. Yeah, that's beautiful. That, I love that how you approach it. That that you try to have a relationship. Well, you, have a, you have a feel. You have a. You have a soul. Yes, amen. You have a soul. I mean, I don't. Some other people do it a different way, but for me, that have been. I was lucky to become a surgeon. Hmm. Because when I start, I was the small boat in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, so I was lucky to, and I helped thousands of people through the years. Mm-hmm. You're a hero. Hey, we well, need more doctors. Well, but yeah. today's changed and everything changed today. Mm-hmm. It's different. Do you think in the future there will be robots performing surgeries? Well, most probably. I think so. Yeah. Right now, you can, I can be here, and, and from here, with the right equipment, I can be doing uh, surgery in India. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen the, that before. Yeah. Yeah, with the you know. That's so beautiful. Eventually, robot. Why not? Yeah, you're right. Do you have any advice to aspiring pre-med students that are listening currently? Well, the. Advice I will give, they're going to be, life is going to be up and down. Mm-hmm. No, everything is rosy. It, it's not like a, you to say Marcus Welby. <laughs> you remember Marcus Welby? You, you're too young for that. I think I'm too young for that. Yeah. So there was a Marcus Welby. Everything was rosy plus the commercial, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so anyhow, but you know, you're going to have moment. You're going to feel down. You're going to be exhausted. You, you feel that you cannot make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's part of the, like I say, growing up. Mm. So you have to take deep breath, talk to somebody. See, here, the beauty about this, you can have counselor, you can have access. I didn't have nobody. When I I went to take my my first exam, I didn't know what multiple choice was. (laughs) Nobody, I was 28 years old, nobody told me about multiple choice. And I remember we were in New York, this big ballroom whatever maybe a thousand doctors there <laughs> and before going in people for Harvard or, you know big university they were talking about uh, and so I and they they told me that the answer was there and I, I didn't have a clue just imagine uh, my preparation I didn't have a clue what was the multiple choice <laughs> Plus, you see, here you grow up with a multiple choice. So mm. become, I didn't know, you have five questions already automatically. If, if you have knowledge, automatically you, you take three away and you, the thing is between, you reduce, 
to 50 percent mm-hmm. i didn't know all that that's not eventually <laughs> uh, with time uh, you know i say that's so funny let's uh, talk about your book the american doctor what made you decide to write the book well what happened was i used to go to many friendly party with a colleague and this and that and mm. sometimes other people the they other doctor politician whatever uh, common people and they the first thing that they say doctor you, I notice an accent. Which country do you come from? I say, I'm Italian. And we start to talk. And so many people, more than locations, say, you know, it's so fascinating what you're just telling me about, for instance, the thing that we talk about in Argentina, study with our books and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was that they say, you know, doctor, you should, you should write this. And more than one told me that. <laughs> and I, 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 never, I said, oh, well, what am I going to write? I mean, I'm not a writer. I mean, <laughs> I'm a simple, a simple Joe. I mean, you know, I mean, you know. So but eventually when my granddaughter was born, mm. and you start to think about, and you say, you know what? What legacy I want to leave to this girl, to oh, my child? That's beautiful. And so what happened in this environment in which the teenage era is, is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So what happened, I say, I would like to put down this thing. So this way, I, in view that they have a certain age, I don't know how long are you going to be around. Mm-hmm. I want to leave, dedicate this book to her. So... Eventually, when she matured or whatever, and she can read or whatever, she said, oh, that was my grandpa. I'm doing this. I succeed in this because my grandpa, father put a root, and he started with nothing, and he did this, and he did that, and we guess all the art, he succeed. And if I succeed, anybody can succeed. Mm. That's beautiful. I love the reasoning. I love it. How long did it take you to finish the book? Well, maybe several years, I would say. Mm-hmm. At least three. At least three. Mm-hmm. Because you know what happened? I'm a kind of guy that I, I, I don't... Go, for instance, I start to write something here. Today, tomorrow, I'll write. But maybe for two, three days, I will not write anything because I'm listening to my opera or I'm biking... Uh, I like to bike, you know, or play golf or whatever, you know, mm. uh, uh, read. Mm. I do a lot of reading. Uh, so, and eventually, you know, and eventually you come back and you have a different idea. I remember this, remember that. Mm. And eventually everything starts to come together. Mm. Everything yeah. starts to come together. And eventually you realize and say, wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> Speaking of remembering, how did you make sure that you're writing accurate memory? Well, I, re- I re- like I said, the past is written in stone. Mm-hmm. I remember when I used to be young when my father used to talk to me, mm-hmm. describe the war, the misery, the suffering. And eventually, at a certain age, I saw 
my parents when I was in Argentina, building the house, two rooms. You know, I, I, those are the things. Those are the things that the, you cannot forget. Mm, of course, because because it was not the something pleasure. The, yeah. the the thing that make you use your brain to survive. Mm-hmm. It's you close to the heart. Forget. You cannot forget that. Mm-hmm. It's close to the heart. What's the hardest part of writing the book? The 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 part that really bothered me was my relationship with my mom. Mm. You see, you have to understand this. I was 11 years old. I was separated from my parents since 11 years old. Eventually, after the seven years of the, I was with the priest, I went to public school for three years. And that was when I was close to my... And after that, I went to university, and I, I saw my parents once in a while. Mm. Eventually, I went to Italy. Eventually, came to the United States. And my parents came to the United States when I got married. Mm. And so what happened, I remember my mother. They used to, I have very, and writing about my mother, I remember I used to go there, the joy that was there to visit for one week, 10 days. Hmm. And already 48 hours before I was going to go back, to, come back to the United States, I, my mother already was holding the hand like that. Hmm. I was, you know, she didn't say nothing, but she told me everything. Hmm. They, looking at her, and the day that came, when we had the, I remember my mother used to cry, but the, the tear were like a grapefruit. Hmm. Big tear, and she tried to, Talk to me and choke at the same time, and that <laughs> and that picture, that picture I can never forget. Hmm. So she lived until ninety-five years old. Wow! And my father died when she was ninety-nine and a half. You have good genes, sir. My father was ninety years old. He was still biking, doing wow. the show with the bicycle, a small wheel. But it was biting, yeah. That's amazing. So, so you see, what you had, you had to be smart in life. You had to choose your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing, right? <laughs> that's funny. Uh, How did it feel when you finally finished the book? I felt good. You know what? I'm still reading and reading, and 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 I get emotional. I mm. get very emotional. Because you know what happened? Took I was in practice with the residents and everything, maybe 40 years. Mm. Seemed like yesterday. Mm. Seemed like yesterday. And you sometimes I get scared because I say, how? Sometimes I didn't sleep for 48 hours. <laughs> because I don't sleep. if I don't sleep at night, I cannot sleep during the day. Mm. All right. So what happened was that then, uh, just uh, you get scared because uh, first of all, you're old. Mm. You don't have the energy that you have when you were young. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 
And I say, how did I do it? How do I do it? Looking back, I say, forget it. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid of your own mortality? Um, do you know what happened? I, sometimes I think about mm. Sometimes I think about And uh, the only thing I wish that when I had to go, my father, he was, he was 99 and a half. And he had a lady taking care of him, hmm. helping, because my mother had died before. Hmm. And one day he was watching a soccer game at night, and he just bent the head and went. Hmm. He passed. So they called me, I went to Italy. So that's the way I prefer to go. Hmm. To me, the tragedy is somebody has a tumor, incurable, hmm. with metal, with a spread, whatever. And you know that they hope it's very slim, the chemotherapy. They suffer, you see the person suffering, going yeah. down, steadily going down. The family suffer, and the person doesn't want to know that there's no future, and that linger. Everybody suffer every. To me, that I don't want that, but it mm. had to happen. But something like that, I prefer to go like my father. Stay on your bike. <laughs> <laughs> What's harder, writing a book or operating on a patient? Oh, operating was the easy part. <laughs> hey, no. you're cutting up people. No, because no, because it become eventually you have so much experience, mm. become a routine. Mm. This is the same thing, you know. When you learn to drive, when the first time you learn you're driving, it's, it's somebody talking to you. Don't talk to me. Don't do this because you know. So eventually, when you get familiar. You're listening to the music, you're looking around, you're talking, you're doing it because it's, everything is normal, mm -hmm. become normal. So the surgery was, a, was a, you know, I, I was in my field, I had good training, mm -hmm. I had done thousands of surgery. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, become routine. Mm -hmm. I, during my surgery, the nurse already knew the radio. Sometimes you couldn't have the radio with the, but they, they had the radio had my operas. Mm. I was listening to my operas. And then you're doing your magic. And you, you do the surgery like, a, you know, you, you can chew and walk at the same time. <laughs> chew, <laughs> chewing gum. <laughs> That's right. You achieved incredible things. Is there something you still want to achieve? Well, I just, I would like to be with my family as much as possible. Mm. I don't want nothing else. I don't want nothing else. I, I think I have done something good for many 99.9% .9 of the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have given something to humanity. And, uh, and I'm very proud of that. Starting from nothing, when I was in my youth, I would never have realized to come to this beautiful country, mm -hmm. the land, the opportunity, and I give a thank to God.
for allowing me to come here. And I, from the first day that I came to this country, and I saw that I used to be with my uncle and aunt in the Bronx. Mm. And uh, I used to study all day. And after lunch, I used to go to Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx across it and go to the library. And when coming back, uh, I, I used to see the bicycle, the, uh, the children, the bicycle in the street, toys, whatever. And like nothing was a normal thing. Hmm. I never saw something like that. I didn't grow up with that. We didn't have nothing. We have, when we were children, we, the street was so dirt, you know, there was no asphalt. <laughs> and we have a sock. And we put a, some cloth inside the sock or newspaper, and you would make a ball. And we kick in the ball. The pool ball was like a sausage at the end. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. Let's close with this one. Any advice to us younger people? Have faith hmm. and hope. Faith and hope that uh, you are in the right country and you can do it. But you have to be patient. You can achieve everything in one day. Here, what happened, unfortunately, everything moved fast. Hmm. And I want something I want yesterday. No, it's not going to come yesterday. It's not going to come today. Something you had, you climb the mountain. You climb the mountain and you don't go with a car. You have to walk, sometimes barefooted, to reach, like the Himalaya. People go on the top of the mountain. Hmm. Sometimes succeed, and then they go up, come down, up, and down. Only if you reach the top. But they had, they had to have the courage, the motivation to succeed. Hmm. Wise word from a wise man. Again, Dr. South, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to, to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, the people can follow me on Instagram, uh, Dr. Salvatore Forcina MD. Mm -hmm. Also, the website where they can get your book. Yeah, it's uh, The American Doctor, available on Amazon. Beautiful, beautiful. Again, Dr. Sal, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Sal, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Andrew Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.